Oh, and just so you know, this is milk I've got on here. It's not whiskey. Look, I'm sorry, all right? I should have trusted you. Morning. 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 I, I wanted to say sorry again about yesterday. I shouldn't have suggested there was something going on between me dad and Toya. Last thing I want to do is cause any trouble between you two. OK, we've done all this, haven't we? Whatever happened to just saying sorry and moving on? Well, gone the same way as video records and white dog mess, a thing of the past. The talk of the street. 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 Hello and welcome to episode 279 of The Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street catch-up podcast that is pretty sure that Joseph describing The Simpsons for five seconds was funnier than anything from the last 20 years on The Actual Simpsons. I'm Gavin. <laughs> and I have 100% fatty breasts. Oh, I think mine are, at the moment, 110%. <laughs> I'm carrying some extra fatty <laughs> in my boobs at the moment. I don't know, it's just the time of the month, I think. Yeah, I got my mail. I'm also retaining the water a little bit, but you know. What else is new? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I got my mammogram results this week, and we are all clear, but we are 100% fatty. It says that in black and white in the report. I was like, how dare you, radiologist person? Is that, is that a good thing? <sighs> I mean, m- most of the breast is fat anyway. A big but it bag just, of fat. It just means that my breasts are more dense than than other people's. Don't so. be asking any math questions then. <laughs> yeah, typically I get the 3D mammogram, which I think is, is better for denser breasts. You need the and glasses for that though, right? Not cost you an extra couple of bucks. It's true. I get the IMAX mammograms. <laughs> I feel it's worth it. Ah, So yes, my boobs are all clear for another year. Huzzah! Excellent news. Excellent, excellent news. Get yourselves checked, ladies. Remember to do those self-exams in the shower. Don't have a cow. Have a mammogram, man. I think it was a Bart Simpson thing, wasn't it? <laughs> Just tying it back to the intro there. Yeah, I do agree, though. Uh, well, you know, there's there's been funny things on The Simpsons in the past 20 years, but that was hilarious. I'm going to challenge you to name one. Um, Since... 2003. Uh, last year's Treehouse of Horror was pretty good. God, the Treehouse of Horror is never good. <gasps> the Treehouse of Horror is always good. No. <laughs> it's the worst episode Remember of the year. Remember the shinning? I loved the shinning. Dreadful. <laughs> so good. Absolutely dreadful. And then when all the when they were eating the kids, that was hilarious. The cafeteria. Remember when the German kid got bumped off and they had Wiener Schnitzel? So funny. Mm. Oh, how you laughed. Oh, how I laughed. How are you anyway, other than having... Uh, fatty breasts? B- big old fatty breasts. <laughs> Aren't you lucky? <laughs> I've twice blessed. <laughs> yes. Thing one and thing two. Well, thing three, but we'll, we'll save that for after the podcast. <laughs> Anyway, this is descending into muck. (laughs) 
Yeah, I'm all right. Busy, busy at work. Yep. Auction talk. <laughs> there you go. Oh, God, you're hilarious. Yep. Busy, busy working on the physical media auction. Today, I cataloged a photograph of five presidents, four currently living, one dead, and with their signatures. And it it was kind of hilarious because they're all smiling except for W, who is frowning like somebody stole his lollipop. It's it's just, it's so funny. Is somebody reenacting the pose where they whispered in his ear about the second tower? No. Oh. No. No, Bill Clinton is the one standing closest to him. He's in between because they're, they're in order. So it's Obama, then W, then Clinton, then HW in his wheelchair, and then Carter. So, yeah, that was fun. It was really exciting. It should sell for an awful lot of money. So, unfortunately, we'll never live here. Nope. That's all right. That's all right. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's been, you know, just nose to the grindstone, trying to get this done and by uh, my deadline. And, you know, we'll see how that goes. How, how about you? How's work for you? I'm coding in R. I don't like coding in R. I'm doing that a lot at the moment, so not a huge amount of fun. I, I reckoned I was aiming to write 100 lines this afternoon, uh-huh. and I wrote four. Oh, no. So not all my fault, but I feel Never like I'm is. a little bit behind the eight ball come Monday when yeah. this needs to be done. Oh, no. More interestingly than that, we went to the rock show this week. Oh, yes, we did. To see the Stevie Nicks out of, off, off Stevie Nicks and At Fleetwood, Fleetwood Mac. Mac. Yeah. We went down to Detroit. Detroit. D-Town. Yes. Motown. Music City. I really like Detroit. I like Detroit as well. It smells. All city smell. But I do like Detroit. I like that area of Detroit. The yeah. stadium district kind of Greek town sort of yeah. part of it. It's, yeah, it's good. It, it's where mom's spaghetti is. I like how it's easy to get into it and out of it. Yeah. You never seem to be too far away from the the interstate. M&M's restaurant. But it was a long drive there. And a long drive back. And a long drive, drive back. back like, on a school night. On a school night. I kept drifting in and out of consciousness. And every time I opened my eyes, I was like, we should be further along than this. Mm-hmm. Why is this taking forever? And I was bombing at home, running red lights and everything. Yes. Yes, in fact, I said to you at one point, because I was awake for this at one point, I said, you just read that red light. And you said, yep, and kept driving. Yep. What, do you want me to go back and sit at them? <laughs> Stephen yeah. X was great. 75 years old. Older than my mom. Her voice is, she's never had the widest range of voice, let's no. face it, but her voice is really, really good. And yeah. it's, she doesn't hit the high notes anymore. And it's very much her. Yes. Uh, I didn't really like the venue. No. I wonder if we were closer to the floor, the sound might have been a little bit better. We but were at Little Caesars Arena. Very good for watching hockey, I would yes. imagine. Not so great for a, a music show. No. But still, Stevie Nicks, Stevie the Nicks. legend. A legend. Stevie Nicks. We got to see her before she dies. And she got to see us before we die. Yes. I, it's really kind of sad, but like... If only we'd known then that your breasts were 100% fatty. <laughs> Never mind. Because, you know, this is this was... Stelly had requested tickets to this show for her birthday, which is coming up in a couple of weeks. And at first, 
I kind of was like, ah, because, you know, I'd already bought her a, a final first, you know, original Broadway soundtrack of Hamilton signed by Lin-Manuel Miranda for her birthday. And so I was kind of like, do I really want to spend a lot of money? Because it was a lot of money. I think that's the most I've paid for theater, for a music concert. Yes, I remember you texted me saying, do you think we can afford 600 bucks? And I said, no. So you spent 700 bucks. <laughs> Ticketmaster is the devil. Because mm. um, it was supposed to be so much cheaper than that. But then they, you know, they swing those fees on at the very end. And you're like, I've already invested all this time. But then I considered, you know, a younger artist, we will probably in all probability have a chance to see again. Unfortunately, it seems like a lot of our favorite artists are already dead or are getting on in years. And so we need to strike while the iron is hot. Not that I think Stevie Nicks is going to die anytime soon because death comes to us all because, you know, that would mean my mother is going to die soon, who is three months younger than Stevie Nicks. It was good. It was good to see her. It's kind of surreal to see like a legend mm -hmm. of rock and roll in the same room as you. Yep. Granted, it's a humongous room, but still, it's a room and she's right there and she's singing at you. She is. It's crazy. That's how concerts work, folks. It is how concerts work. And it was good. And everybody enjoyed it. All four of us. It was. It was I think good. it was the first time we've ever gone to a concert all together. You're probably right. Yes. Shall we preamble, my dear? Yeah, I, I guess we'd better. Yeah, give us some of that 100% fatty <laughs> coring news. Here I was trying to do something nice and personal for Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and never mind. The best that was last month. No, it's November. No, it's October. That's why our... Oh, wait. Yeah, you're right. November is for the... For the dudes. So I did for do something nice for Breast Cancer Awareness Month, <laughs> and you're welcome. You made our logo pink. I did. <laughs> and a grateful nation thanks you. You're welcome, ladies. And gentlemen. Yes, men can get breast cancer as well. Mm -hmm. So men should be doing self-checks in the bathtub. Cody News. Either. Uh, as well. Okay. The best news of all time has landed on our laps this week. Our beloved Charlie DeMello will be joining my beloved Doctor Who as Charles Banerjee in the 60th anniversary special, which means Stelly only has four degrees of separation from her beloved David Tennant now. How? Us. Charlie. Are you linking us to Charlie? Yes. <laughs> Does Charlie know this? <laughs> well, I consider... I can Does Charlie's lawyers know this? I consider Charlie and Georgia kind of friends, you know, or close acquaintances because close they, acquaintances because they have messaged us and we have messaged them, mm -hmm. you know. So I feel like we have a closer relationship to them than pretty much everybody else on the on the cast of Corey. Um. So yeah, I kind of consider them friends. Right. Yes, this was. This was excellent, excellent news. news. I, I was the one who, who you broke told it me, to you. And I was, and I was so sure happy. you must have been aware of it. Do you know that Charlie's going to be on Doctor Who and You forget I am on, I am no longer on the former Twitter because I hate that letter. And you texted back all in caps, which 
frankly can go either way, but right. this time was was a positive. So yes, I was at work. Very good. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this. And he's you're looking forward to an episode I'm of looking Doctor forward Who to seeing Charlie and Doctor Who. I'll watch it. I watch clips of it, but I'm looking forward to seeing him and Millie. To be honest, and Doctor yes. Who. I wonder. I wonder if if they're because he's only in the 60th anniversary special. He's not in the next season. Mm-hmm. Don't ruin this for me. So that means they're probably not going to be acting together. Although I and would just love it, it. I would love it if they were acting together. That would be so cool. I would love that so much. I'm really, really pumped and excited. So, excellent. Yeah, yeah. Acting with my second favorite doctor. <sighs> Someday, someday this will be a Doctor Who podcast. Anyway. <laughs> maybe Stelly and Not I should... Not while I'm alive. Maybe Stelly and I should start a Doctor Who podcast. All she would do is talk about David Tennant, though. It's currently pretty much all that you're doing at the moment. <laughs> Big Garth appeared on our screens this week. He and, did. And people who aren't me realized that he was on the show Bread in the 1980s. And we realized this the, the first time that he was on the show. Well, I didn't, because I have never heard of that show in my life. But Garth's been on the show before. And when he was on the show, we realised it was from Bread. You realised he was from Bread. Yeah, I think this might have been a Cory News from some months ago. <laughs> this this is still news to me, because it's, I've it's never fine. watched that. It's fine. You're, you're obsessed with Charlie. It's fine. I'm not obsessed with Charlie. I'm obsessed with you. I just admire Charlie because of the dogs and his <laughs> acting. But mostly the dogs. What could that possibly mean? Anyway, you exactly know what they mean. And finally, get well wishes for Alan Halsell, who underwent ACL surgery this week and has a long 9 to 12 month recovery ahead of him. Yikes. He was supposed to be in I'm a Celebrity, well, Get Me Out of Here. he was in talks to be in I Am a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. But he is definitely not going to be because he just had ACL surgery. Reported today as pulling out. But like you said, I don't know if he was ever pulled, pulled in. in. So right. I think, I think if there's, a, if there's a series that I'm a celebrity getting me out here that you want to avoid, it's probably this one. Yeah. And that's Corey News. That's Corey News. And that leads us seamlessly into our feedback section called Everyone's a Critic. Jakey wrote in this week to say, I don't understand why Dylan wouldn't just deck Mason and run. He knows the guy's bad news from losing his job, yet he still decides to communicate with the person that's causing him a lot of grief, and he's lost the opportunity to spend time with the one girl he was into. I've thought that so often this week, and I guess we'll talk about it when we get to the spoiling, but it's like, why are you putting up with this? Well, you know, his prefrontal cortex has not fully formed yet, so he makes bad decisions. This is the problem with all teenagers. Mm-hmm. But I think it's especially a problem for this particular teenager because he's he's insecure about the move from that London and also, you know, his dad's financial situation. You know, he moves from London to Manchester, which must have been culture shock already, even though he had been on the street before. Mm. But I think there's also this added thing of he was bullied already for having a gay dad, which is weird because how would people in London know that unless he told them, which, you know, I never talked about my dad's sexuality at school, so I don't imagine why he would have. Um, 
You know, it's a weird. Imagine that just coming up in conversation. Oh, guess what? My dad's gay. Yeah. That wouldn't happen, would it? Not in our day. No. I might. I might in twenty twenty three. More likely to happen in twenty twenty three. I would say than nineteen ninety three. No, no. But the kids these days are so fluid; it doesn't even matter. No, well, seems to have marked to this Mason prick. Right. Anyway. Well, because he's an asshole. Mm-hmm. So I think I think I think you can find if if you delve deep enough, you can find kind of a reason why Dylan may be sticking with this dude who is just awful. Just the worst. Absolutely, just absolutely the, worst. the worst. And was so much worse this week than before. Yeah, I'm looking forward to repeating things that I said last week, this week. <laughs> then Noel wrote in to say, I just want to thank you for dragging yourself from your deathbed in order to read my name in your podcast. You've gone above and beyond, but frankly, I'm worth it. I'm glad... <laughs> I'm glad that you've recovered and that you didn't shuffle off this mortal coil with my name being the last thing you said before snuffing it. And I am probably <laughs> glad to know. Is Noel secretly an American? I don't know. Because that sounds like a very American thing to say. Doesn't it? What? I'm worth it. <laughs> that doesn't sound British at all. I'm beginning to think that you're Noel. <laughs> or Noel. My lips with are, it being Christmas. My lips are still... It is not Christmas. That's still way over a, a month and a half away. Feedback is always welcome. Send us your thoughts and I will probably read them out. Get us at thetalkofthestreet at gmail.com or our DMs are open at Corey Podcast. And now, we'll podcast for coffee. We're enjoying our own coffees this week. The Talk of the Street is and will always be free on your podcast provider and on the YouTubes. Remember the YouTubes, Ellen? I do remember the YouTubes. But if you think our show is worth anything more than the time it takes to listen to it, and if you want to show your appreciation, you can buy us next week's coffee by going to ko-fi.com, that's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. And you can also sign up to be a friend of the podcast through the same link we're for as little as two bucks a month. You can get a mention in the closing credits of each and every episode. And remember... Remember now, you can always support the podcast for free and get us in front of new listeners by liking, subscribing, rating and reviewing wherever you get your podcasts. And now, this. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to Last Year Tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about kidnapping Shergar. I got nothing. (laughs) That's right, this was Bernie realising that her doppelganger was a con woman who would probably end up getting a frame for kidnapping Shergar. Do you know who Shergar is? No. Shergar was a racehorse, a very good racehorse, that was kidnapped, Uh I think by the IRA, Uh and then presumably very swiftly killed shortly thereafter. So so this horse is the Irish version of the Lindbergh baby. Was the Lindbergh baby killed? Yes. Shortly after the kidnapping. Then yes. Supposedly accidentally, but you know, we'll never know. I think Cherga was killed because the people who kidnapped him Uh had no clue how to take care of a racehorse. Right, yeah, which is very similar to the Lindbergh baby. They had no idea how to carry a baby down a ladder from a tall building. Oh, yikes. Keeping it light. (laughs) 
Fanny oh, talking, talking of ladders, I was Gavin and you enjoy standing on ladders taking pictures of books. <laughs> Still true, although it is exhausting. You were doing two jobs at this point and clearly had picked your favourite. You were surprised that direct deposit was a thing in the UK prior to the 1990s. Fizz, an increasingly violent Tyrone and a brill-creamed Adam team up to take on the might of the Weatherfield true crime publishing industry. Nick and Leanne are forced to relent and agree to explore the possibility of Sam meeting Harvey face-to-face in prison. Summer, Aaron, Amy and Jacob move into the builder's yard flat and while one couple gets away from Billy, the other ends up besieged by Tracy. Bernie heads to a health spa in an attempt to learn Fern's address but ends up being caught in the act by Fern's ex-husband. That was quite funny. Homeless Stu and Dee Dee head to that London for his conviction overturning hearing. Max has a disastrous first day working at Speeddal but ends up getting much closer to racist Kelly and her way of thinking. Roy makes soup. Glenda has plans for Billy. And John Stape is in the shed. A <laughs> moment of the week was Fizzy's pleading speech to the Stape book publisher. And a boring moment of the week was Summer's massive folic acid tablets. And that was Coronation Street and the talk of the street this time last they year. They are quite big. Sounds like a classic. We'll take a quick break. And we'll be right back with this week's recap. And we're back. Shall we dive in, my dear? Yes, please. Our first storyline this week is the Knicker People Strike. (laughs) Dum, dum, dum. But not like that. Well, no, they do. On Monday, Carla's back. Yay! Hola, escrota! (laughs) She shouts. She's disappointed to see the place is looking a bit of a mess. This is a house that she's back at, not the factory. Seems her two-week meeting didn't go that well. No. She's also surprised to see Simon's asleep on the couch. Mm. Oh, how things have changed. Yeah, maybe you shouldn't leave. So she kind of described what she was up to when she was away. Mm -hmm. It didn't sound like two weeks of effort. No. And she she described... She only got six meetings. Continually driving backwards and forwards to the... To the meeting place was costing her like 60 euro a time or whatever why is your hotel so far away what on earth were you doing why is your hotel so far away from this meeting place it makes no sense and billy's got a better tan i don't know well peter heads out and runs into ken who wants a chat about some old council business peter could not give a fuck and heads off to take some donations to the charity shop which becomes a thing at the factory, Sarah's hiding Michael from Carla. That was hilarious. That was hilarious. <laughs> Just to quickly go, go, sli- go, go. <laughs> slice in the throat Shoot. action as Michael Shoot. blissfully unaware walks around the corner. That was so funny. <clears throat> they have a quick post-mortem about the wasted two weeks in Spain and they do have another meeting coming up this afternoon and Sarah says they need to bring their A-game. She's also having a hard time in the aftermath of the Stephen stuff. Everyone seems to be having a hard time in the aftermath of the Stephen stuff. But Except for David. Who could not give a fuck. Seems He's getting be, more business than he ever has. Seems to be enjoying it. <laughs> doesn't he? Sarah was, I'm going to say bludgeoned. It wasn't quite bludgeoned, but. No, she a, was it's bludgeoned. It's a decent enough verb. And we kind of skim over some some of the head trauma stuff yeah. all the time. You know, getting right. a bump in the head is either. You're unconscious for a minute, then you get up like nothing's yeah. happened, or you need to get surgery on your brain. Head injury of the week. There's no yeah. in between, right? Yeah, it's absolutely head injury of the week. And it, that's not what we used to say, though. A brain. No, it was head injury of the week. Was it head injury, mm-hmm. or is it brain trauma of the week? No, I think it was head injury. It it it's actually bravo to the show. It's been a while. 
it has been a while, but here we are with Sarah, who's kind of having this sort of double effect mm-hmm. from being bonked over the noggin. Correct. And also it was her uncle. And we don't, we're not focusing really that right. much on this. And she lost Did her she baby ha- not so long ago. Right. Did she ever even go to the hospital when she was bludgeoned? I don't think we saw that. If she no. Did. She was sitting in the back of, a, of an ambulance talking to Adam at one point. But I don't know if she ever I, actually went. I don't think we saw it. I think she might have got whisked away, but we never saw anything. No. But she seems to be out of... Between her and Carla, she seems to be the one that's kind of holding it all together a yes. little bit more. And yet, she's still got this... She's still got all this that's stuff. just happened. Right. That she's still, I suppose, kind of dealing with. Yeah. And then there was the insinuation, perhaps, that Adam was going to be a bit more warmer to her than he has been, and that hasn't developed into anything no. much. And they're it's, just it's good been friends. a really sucky time for Sarah recently, and she yeah. seems to be holding it together pretty yeah. well. She d- she hasn't even broken out the leather skirt lately. She hasn't, which makes you sad. Yeah, well, I get over it. <laughs> Later though, Carla's barking about the lack of coffee when she finds Michael hiding in the fridge. He's the reason that they're in this mess. Sarah points out that Stephen is the reason that they're in this mess and Nipper Snapper was their lifeblood. Carla never wants to hear that word again and I never want to say it again. Nipper Snapper mm-hmm. or lifeblood? Both. Okay. Michael says he has new designs to show off but Carla isn't interested and that's Michael back in sales. Right. So Carla goes to see Ken. There's music from the pub in another storyline that's bleeding through the wall into number one, which never seems to happen when the pub was open and busy. Right. Carla and Ken talk about Peter and Ken's worries that Peter is back on the sauce. Carla's dismissive and then has to leave for her meeting at the factory. So at the factory, Sarah's schmoozing with the new client. She tells Sarah about the gossip about Stephen and she wasn't too impressed with the samples that she saw. Carla comes in, immediately takes over, saying that they have better samples, and she sends Sarah off to bring Michael in as an emergency. <laughs> and it's Michael's presentation that swings the deal. But the new client says, there might be a snag. The snag is, they need to turn this order around quick sharp. Carla officially welcomes Michael back to the fold and tells Sarah to promise the Knicker people backdated overtime to get this order done and out on time. Then Carla goes home to find the place empty and a bottle of whiskey that she'd brought back from Spain missing. Mmm, <gasps> Spanish whiskey. Is, is Spain known for their whiskey? Not so much. No. No. <laughs> no, because whiskey is, is more of a, a cold weather drink. A cold climate drink. For them, you know, it's not something you would expect to be grown well in sunny, sunny Spain. I think you probably need some peat as well. Right, yeah. Need I, some don't know if, I don't know if Spain's some... famous for its peat. No, no. Japan, of course, imports its uh, peat, peat from Scotland. <laughs> yes. Maybe Spain does that too. Anyway, Spanish whiskey. Hilarious. Carla goes to phone Ken just as Peter comes in. He's not impressed that everyone thinks that he's drinking again. What was it? Ground control to... Major Ken. Major Ken, that was... That was pretty funny. It was. There were some good <laughs> one-liners this week. He insists that he's not drinking again. He insists that he's not drunk. He's just got coffee and he's been going to tons of meetings. Carla's satisfied that he's sober, but wants to know where the whiskey's went then. And Peter's not got a fucking clue what she's talking about. Apparently it was for work. Again, Peter isn't impressed at, at the accusations, but thinks maybe Simon might have something to do with it. Or Ryan. 
Yeah. She, he points out quite correctly. There are two young men in this house, mm-hmm. you know, neither of whom have a drinking problem. Maybe go ask them. Carla Lewis soon distracted by her phone and it's the factory calling while Peter tries to explain how he's feeling after killing Stephen. Simon comes home and right enough, it was him who nicked a whiskey for an emergency present for his mate Kyle. He's bought a replacement. Oh, yuck, says Carla. It's Scottish whiskey. It'll never catch on. <laughs> Peter has a go at him. Was it Scottish? Mm-hmm. So Simon responds by grassing Peter up about the toy thing. Right. It wasn't well like... Well done, Simon. It wasn't like... It wasn't like... Good Scottish whiskey, though. Was no, it Laphroaig? No, it was cheap. Yeah, but it's still there's Scottish. No, there's no Macallan 25, no. No. <sighs> Do you miss whiskey sometimes? Uh, yeah, I think sometimes about buying a bottle just to sniff it. But uh, Completely understandable. But I don't trust myself not to drink it. Yeah. I think about buying a wee whiskey while we're at Trivia, again, uh-huh. just to sniff it. Yeah. Because uh, I don't think I'd drink that. No. But it's like seven bucks just to sniff something that's pretty smelly. Right. Well, Thanksgiving's coming up. You can <laughs> sniff a little bit of the Jack Daniels that goes in the stuffing. Don't know if that's the same. Well, no, because it's it's it's. I don't hanker Jack Daniels. No. And I I don't really hanker whiskey that much either. But if I was to hanker a whiskey, it would be a Laphroaig. Right. Which yes. is very recognisable. Yes, but I would never buy a bottle of Laphroaig to put in stuffing. No, although it might be quite nice. It might be. I don't think I could find like a little small bottle of Laphroaig though. You need to get a miniature. Yeah, and I don't think that's available around here. Do you think if we say Laphroaig often enough, Laphroaig might send us one? I don't know. Let's say Laphroaig a few more times. Well, we'll see what Laphroaig do. Yes. Thanksgiving's coming up. It's the Laphroaig holiday after all. It is. So thanks, Simon. So now Peter has to explain about his conversations with Toya. She knows what she's talking about and he feels that he's bur- burdening Carla with his woes and would rather not do that. Carla, though, is implicated and more or less accuses him of having an affair. He apologises and then tells her about Jenny saying that Stephen wasn't about to hurt her. He didn't save anyone's life that night and Stephen should be alive and in prison and now he can't sleep at night. And Carla, I think, might have been the only person to say just because he said he wasn't going to do this doesn't, doesn't mean, mean to say that he wasn't, he wasn't going, going to do, do that. Right, yeah. And say, if I were a serial killer, I would definitely say that, then kill the person. <laughs> yes. And then you're like, whoa, Carla, step back. That's, that's, that's Tracy's line. <laughs> he says he has enough demons. Carla says Stephen deserved what he got, but Peter doesn't feel like he's so different. He continues to open his heart, but Carla is distracted again by her phone. She's got one of the flip phones as well now. He sarcastically says it's good that he has her full attention and she does not respond well to this. No. She angrily says that she's doing her best to keep two plates spinning here, trying to keep the factory afloat. And so apologies if half an eye is on that, she says. Right. And days later, Toya takes the news that she's been thrown under the bus pretty well from Peter. But Peter thanks her for her advice and her ear recently. And back at the factory, Carla and Sarah are getting wired into the whiskey that Simon bought and debriefing about today. Carla thinks that she might be at the end of her tether with Peter and she isn't sure how they get back on an even keel from here. And then she necks back a triple shot without a single wince. Nope. She's done that before. Yes, she has. On Wednesday, it's morning at Peter and Carla's. He's still miffed about her suspicions from Monday. Simon's apologetic about the trouble that he caused yesterday as well. And Carla just wants to move on. And then gets a call from Sarah, want to meet up before work. 
at the factory, Carla learns from Sarah that the money that Stephen stole has disappeared through a bogus bank account, and this feels un. Very, very plot convenient very, detail. Very, very plot convenient because that that should not have happened. And also, let's for, let's not forget. Supposedly, in Stephen's will, Audrey gets everything, and basically all he had was that money he stole. So, but we're, we're asked to believe that he moved the money into a bogus account, and from that bogus account, it it disappeared. Right. Which whenever he was stealing money. Uh, previously, he was putting it into his own account, I think, right. from some fake the consultancy, right? The seagull. So this is the level of sophistication that we're talking about with Stephen. Right. Where Stephen, or how Stephen would set up a bogus bank account, how, how on earth, nothing about him suggested that he disappear. knew what he was doing. No. He didn't know how to launder money, I don't no. think. He didn't. He didn't know how to make money like he that. He was quickly disappear. caught out by the seagull thing and right. had to like make up more hackneyed lies about it over and over and over again. All things being equal, this money should be sitting in Stephen's bank account. Plus, I don't know that he had the time to move it and no. make it disappear anyway because no, he stole the money and then he died. Right. Later that week or that day, perhaps. Yeah. And was busy attempting to kill Tim. <laughs> he had enough when on his did plate he have that time day. Right. Between, you know, bludgeoning Tim, who also had wound of the week. See, it was head wound of the week. It wasn't head injury. Head wound of the week, Tim. The fact that Tim is fine after not only being bludgeoned and unconscious for like 24 hours. I don't know how you can say dehydrated. that Tim was fine was when, when he was having third person flashbacks left right and center right yes but that that's more of a ptsd sort of thing not a my body physically should not be functioning at this moment (laughs) type of thing anyway anyway through their desperation and not paying the nick of people in the month carla needs to get this latest order out so they can get some money in the Dicker people are already frothing at the mouth about not getting paid, and now Beth is called in sick due to <clears throat> women's problems. She but, also has fatty breasts, I guess. Which doesn't fool Carla for a minute. This is what women say that stops men questioning them about what's wrong with them. Oh, it's just women's problems. Carla is adamant that Sarah keeps Stim and just hope that they can keep on top of things until the latest order goes out. She tells the Dicker people that the money Stephen stole will be back in the company account later today. And that seems to calm the naked right. people down a bit. And then something convoluted happens. But before that, Anina rolls later, Toya bumps into Carla and tries to clear the air. She insists that she doesn't have any romantic intentions of Peter, respects his marriage to Carla, and was only offering a consoling ear to him. And for some reason, Carla finds this hilarious and laughs in Toya's face. Right, it, that was weird. Saying that she needed cheering up. Toya double takes. What a fucking bitch, she clearly thinks. Right, yeah. Well, and... uh Toya also mentions the fact that she is a licensed counsellor. So she she was able to provide, you know, a a more professional professional ear mm-hmm. sort of thing. And I think maybe that's what made Carla laugh because See, I thought Carla was laughing at the insinuation that Toya was a threat to her. Well, yeah, that's probably part of it too. But it was a weird thing to laugh at. Right. Yeah. And also, 
she did kind of consider Toya a threat when Simon first said something. That's right. She wasn't laughing about it the previous day. No, no. She was immediately accused Peter of jumping in the sack with Toya. And Peter said, why does everything have to be about sex with you? (laughs) Which is something I hear all the time. (laughs) Lunchtime at the factory and Izzy has had a text from Beth. According to Beth, she's heard that the hairdresser's from David. He's so busy with people coming in wanting to speak about the Stevens stuff. Wanting to gossip. The money Stephen stole is gone for good, spaffed up the wall. The and ne- apparently Beth is going for a job interview. Yeah, which... <laughs> Sean's like, I don't Sean's think like I should have read that part out. <laughs> the Knicker people are <laughs> furious about this. Carla promises that they'll get paid tomorrow, but she's lost the Knicker people's trust now, and they down tools, jackets on, and walk out. The Knicker people congregate outside with Izzy randomly shouting, Strike! Strike! And this is spotted by a passing Daniel, who Sarah asks to keep it out of the Gazette, thus reminding us that he sometimes works at the Gazette whenever the plot line dictates. (laughs) Carl explains the importance of the new order to pay them and to keep the factory from going under. The Knicker people don't seem to care anymore. Carla is fresh out of ideas, so Peter comes along. I'm a man, he says. Do you want me to have a word with them? Fill your boots, says Carla. So Peter appeals to the Knicker people's loyalty to Carla, and when that doesn't work, he accuses them of falling for Stephen's lies, ignoring Stephen drugging Carla, and he says that they threw Carla under the bus and says that they disgust him. Not exactly Mick Lynch, says Sally, which was hilarious. <laughs> and this seems to do it for the Knicker people who all sign up to Izzy's job agency to get new work, raking in that their places are falling over themselves to hire people running up to Christmas. Right. Back in Nina's roles, Peter sees Toya and admits that he fucked up his chat to the Knicker people and is disappointed that he can't fix things. Fix work things or fix Carla things, asks Toya. Nina overhears and as she throws in her tuppence, this seems to give Peter an idea and next we see he's hired the cavalry to come to Carla's rescue. Evelyn, Nina, Roy, Simon, Sally and Kirk, who are both scabs, are all helping out. (laughs) The Knicker people seem to be better workers than the old Knicker people, while Carla lets Peter know that she heard about the disaster meeting earlier, and then Izzy comes back in to break the picket line that she created. Right. Later, Peter walks in on Carla and Roy talking about his suspected drinking, and although Carla is explaining that it was all just a misunderstanding, Peter's still hurt that he's still top of the gossip list. He's the talk of the street. <clears throat> There's a podcast called that. Yes. Peter goes away for a little walk and comes back once his head's cleared. He likes those head-clearing walks. He has a proposal for Carla to get away from these rain-drenched streets. He has a friend, Mickey, who he never mentions, who runs a cruise company in Mallorca. And Peter suggests that they all pack up their lives and go and work for Mickey, who's needing new deck hands in the next couple of weeks. It would be a fresh start. Carla, though, doesn't think it's possible to pack up a life in a week and doesn't think running away is the right thing to do. So she puts the kibosh on it and goes to take a call. And Peter is crushed. He is crushed. But Carla's not wrong. This was a factory that she, although she was being drugged at the time, lost interest in. The factory was consuming her. The being drugged kind of brought it to her attention. She decided to let it go. And then she went back again. Mm-hmm. And she went back again fairly recently. Yeah, because she realized that that's where, that's where her place was. That she needed to be busy. That she got re- bored very fast and fidgety. So she needed to be busy. 
Right. Maybe not necessarily needed to be busy with the factory, but just needed to be busy. She's good at the factory, though. Is she? Yes. She is. The factory always seems to be just lumbering from one potential disaster to the next. Hmm. Always needing... Everything everything on the street seems to be lumbering from one disaster to the next. The only stable business on that street is Nina's Rolls. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's it. And maybe Gary's Place, which gets a mention this week. Did it? I think I must have missed that. Yeah. Well, Daisy and Daniel met... Daisy says she's going to call Gary Windass for a clean out oh, of the house. Yeah, that's right. Because she's not into chintz. But he was having issues as well with work with uh, cash flow, so was going to work for Ed. So, hmm. but yeah, the calf's about the only thing that actually makes money. Everyone else is constantly complaining about it. Dev's not complaining about it. Everyone it eats. Everyone eats kebabs. Everyone eats fish and chips. Everyone buys from the grocers. Dev sometimes complains. Brian's doing okay. The cabin seems to be doing okay. Yeah. Even though people get soggy newspapers. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> Maybe the two weeks thing was a little bit wishful thinking. But also, can the you imagine the chance of going to and doing something that they've done before that he was quick to remind her? Yeah, that supposedly she hated. Hmm. I would hate being on the boat, but y- you would. I would love it. I would love it. I'll go with Peter, and you can hang out with Carla. <laughs> You could call whatever other ball bag over and over again. Do I have to write in the R code? If I At do, the factory? I'm... Maybe. Oh, you could the be... factory, I'm just doing Excel, aren't I? You're, you're the tech, you could be the new tech guy at the factory. They've never had one. I'm a tech guy because I know what some product formulas do. <laughs> On Friday, Peter is boggling boats when Carla gets up ready to head off to work. He apologises for pushing her yesterday. He just let the idea run away with him. She thanks him for rallying the troops and checks that they're all good. They are. They are not. He's going to a meeting and she's going to work. At the factory, Carla's in a world of her own while Sarah whitters on about something Kirk said. The order has been delivered and paid for, so crisis averted for now. Carla finds it hard to be excited and asks Sarah about her stint in Milan. Why did she go? Sarah says she was bored and wanted adventure, but in retrospect, she wasn't in a great place at the time and maybe it wasn't the best decision. Carla takes us on board and quickly leaves and back home she tells Peter that she needs to be where she's needed and where she's needed is with Peter, not at the factory. He admits that he's struggling so she decides that they need to be a team here so she's here to take him to his fucking meeting and to be in his corner. She doesn't fancy the boat stuff still or Milan now for some reason but this is what it is and they go off to the meeting. Yeah, which is nice. And that's as far as we get with that this week. Yeah. It feels like there are are particular couples on the street that are, you know, pillars of relationship on the street. Right. Steve and Tracy, which apparently is in is in tragedy. Heading to Splitsville. Heading to Splitsville, possibly. Sally and Tim. Uh Kirk and Beth. Kirk and Beth. But they've had their they've recent had their Splitsville. recent Splitsville. Carla and Peter, which everybody waited for for so long, and now it's here. Mm-hmm. You know, and now maybe it won't be here. Because Peter's going on that boat, isn't he? That's how he's leaving the show. The way that he looked on Wednesday, I'm surprised that he's not already on that boat. Right. 
the way that he was sitting with his arms folded and his mouth kind of right. sunken oh, God, in his that arms. Was devastating. Yeah. That was devastating. Clearly just in trauma. Split in two. Right. By Carla's just refusal to go with us. Rejection. <clears throat> and it was a long shot, so you don't really make kind of ultimatums like that. No. If indeed it was an ultimatum. Kind of wasn't delivered as such, but no, to him it, it was feels like, like it maybe was. Let's do this. It'll be fun. And she's like, I mean, they are in two very different places right now. I don't know. Maybe, maybe a break wouldn't be all that bad for them. And I mean, she could go to Spain like on the weekends and stuff and see him. I don't have that much of an issue with them having problems. Right. And I don't really have that many issues with them splitting up. Mm-hmm. I'm just not sure that I buy the reasons for it. I just, it feels quite a manufactured rift that's been created between them. And and I think, I'm, I'm hesitant to blame anyone, but Peter has just killed somebody. And that clearly... Has, has affected had a, him. Taking its toll on him. Right. Despite all his bravado about how he was going to kill Stephen and how he was going to sort him out and right. and punch his lights out and all yeah. that sort of stuff. The fact that he has done what he said he was going to do right. has had such an unexpected uh, yeah. consequence on him. I feel like it would be very healthy for him to leave the street for a while. And right. this feels like the perfect place for him to be because let's not forget... He's a Navy man. We are reminded because his little plaque is in the background and it says this is the first time that I've ever noticed his little Navy plaque in the background. So this is the place. Because remember when he had that sailboat? I do. She wasn't very fond of that either. No. Which is why she sent out, why she left the door open for Roy to sleepwalk (laughs) and burn it down. I don't know. I mean, it's like there are places that I like to go. Places that I'm very fond of. That I feel like if if I had killed someone <laughs> in the similar circumstances. What's your body count at? Well, zero. Okay. Technically. Trying to catch out there. <laughs> I've seen the same meme you have. It was funny. It was funny. I really liked that meme. Um, there, there are places that I would go for comfort and peace and just to kind of get away from it all. That if I like if I had suggested to you, look, this opportunity has come up to be a fire watcher in the back north forty of Glacier National Park, and I'd really like to go and do that mm-hmm. and just be away from all people for six months. You would not be happy. I'm sweating a little bit thinking about it, but I think <laughs> I'd do it. Would you? I think so. If I. I if it could be worked out how I'm going to work and earn money by right. doing that. I don't think the Wi-Fi signal is very good out there. Right, so we might have, we might need a booster to the <laughs> to the router. But I think I'd do it. Oh, That's very sweet. I did not expect you to say that. Because <laughs> I was thinking about this. Because you are terrified of the woods. I am. And I would be in a constant state of fear. But it keeps You're you young. You're afraid of bears. It keeps you young. We need bear spray. I think bear spray doesn't work. I think that the more I think about it now, post pandemic, mm-hmm. I feel like we're all kind of isolated to a 
greater or lesser degree. Uh-huh. And the surroundings don't really affect that. It used to be that we lived in a city, right? It's not a city, it's a small yeah. town. But you know people in the town, and right. you know quite a lot of people in the town. Right. And I still do, but still I, don't, I don't speak to nearly as many of them as yeah. I used to. Well, and at least slowly starting to. And if it wasn't for trivia, I don't think, I don't think I'd really speak to anybody outside of the house. Except on, for Steve. And I haven't spoken to him recently because we've always had something come up when we'd normally go for coffee. So, Aww. so it's it feels we might as well be living in the country, right? So yeah, the long story is I think I probably would if I ca- if I had something that I could go and do. Hmm. That's very interesting. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to keep that in mind if I ever kill someone. <laughs> but like if you killed somebody when? <laughs> like I don't know. Like if if we if we stayed in Scotland, if if that was an option for us when we got married and we lived in your flat in Stirling, mm-hmm. I think I would go crazy. Because it would just be too many people and too much noise for me. Too many junkies right outside in the middle of the night. Yeah, you kind of, and you do kind of get used to it. I like cities. I just am terrified of the concept of living in one because I don't like people. And I know that we're kind of getting into therapy territory here, <laughs> but I think since our trip to Chicago, uh-huh. I've made my peace that I'm too old for cities. Cities are for young people. That's very interesting. Chicago is for young people and for people younger than me. And so I imagine definitely New York is for young people. I don't know. There there are parts of New York are, which are very much for old people, for delightful old people in art galleries and getting coffee. And walking the dog. I could do that, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. If we lived in the Upper West Side, we'd be with old people. I think what I'm saying is that the older I get, the more the more isolation doesn't seem to terrify me, I guess. It's very interesting. Shall we move on? I think we're better before I start crying or, <laughs> or admitting to murdering somebody. Our next storyline tonight is, haven't we had enough of this prick yet? On Monday. I have had enough. Sean is looking for another job now that the rovers are shut. Dylan thinks that his mum sends him enough money through. He's no. heading for a scalped ear, this, this boy, I tell you. Yeah. Sean, yeah. Sean advises Dylan to stick in at school so not to turn out like him, which is sound advice. Dylan gets a text from half man, half prick, asking if where the party is going to be because he hasn't forgotten about that, because of course he hasn't forgotten about that. George, in passing, mentions how the pub's all boarded up and it's a bit of an eyesore, and this seems to give Dylan some food for thought. So, Yeah, I thought that that that, that company that bought it was like all gung-ho to get working on it and rebuilding it and in their image and yeah. everything. Because that's why they all had to get out very quickly. Yeah, how's that working out? Not very well. Not at all, by the looks of things. So, Mason the Prick, Dylan, a child called Conchi. And the girl from last week, Layla, they're all there. Why only one girl? Exactly. Mason thinks that she's keen on some action with Dylan and he makes a bet with Conchie on whether they'll get their hole. It's difficult to imagine a set of characters more despicable than this lot. 
Well, so, just Mason and Conchie. So Mason and Conchie are getting pissed and playing loud music while Dylan works on his moves with Layla through the back. What a dumbass. Mm-hmm. Let's play loud music in the middle of the day in this building that's right on the main street, mm-hmm. which we're not supposed to be in. They get chatting and decide to head upstairs to get their hold, both claiming to be very experienced in that regard. But when they go to head off, Mason and Conchie are listening at the door because they're fucking perverts. Sean and George, meanwhile, are sitting on Maxine's bench having lunch together when Sean is sure he can hear music coming from the pub. So they go in, find a drunken Mason and Conchie, and then a sheepish Dylan comes down the stairs with Layla. Dylan does a runner, and then George threatens to call the police. At the precinct later, Mason is taking the piss out of Dylan for not getting his hole. He says Conchie got his hole off of Layla tons of times. Which is Ugh, obviously a lie. A horrible, horrible, horrible uh, little just shit. Disgusting. Grumpy, Dylan goes off and Mason wants him to pay up for the bet that he had with Conch. I hate this boy so much. Oh, and he also So much. And he also accuses Dylan of being gay because he didn't get his hole off of Layla. Mason bet this Conchie. 20 quid that Dylan would get his hole. Right. So because Dylan didn't, Mason needs to pay Conchie the 20 quid. Right. And Mason thinks that this is a perfectly reasonable thing to do, is to get Dylan to pay that. Right, yeah. When Dylan had no idea the bet. No, yeah. I hate this boy so much. He's, He's just such a waste of space. I hate his stupid face and I hate his stupid haircut. Yeah. And I hate his stupid voice. Yeah. There's nothing likable about this kid. <sighs> I don't even care if maybe down the line we find out he has like a father who beats him or something. I hope he does. <laughs> so Dylan gets home and Sean is furious, but Dylan doesn't give a single fuck one way or the other. Sean warns him about his exams and how dog in school is not the way to go and hanging out with Mason is bad news. And Dylan has heard enough and goes back out on Wednesday. Dylan's doing his paper round when he runs into Mason, who wasn't joking and really does want 20 quid to cover his bet with Conchie. He calls Dylan gay boy. And Dylan, to his credit, tells Mason to go fuck himself. Right. So Mason dumps his papers in a puddle because he really is such a terrible fucking prick. Right. And it's stupid because how does he expect Dylan to pay him back if he's going to do something like this, which will probably get Dylan fired? Right. He's such. He's not even smart. No, and he's, he's not stupid. even a smart bully or a charismatic bully. I don't think I've hated anyone more than Mason, either fictional or real life. What about Hitler? It's close. <laughs> uh, back home, Dylan wants to skip school. Sean thinks it's a hangover, but agrees anyway. He goes to work leaving Dylan pensive about how exactly he's going to kill that prick Mason. Brian goes to see Dylan later and he's fuming because of the complaints that he's got this morning from all the customers who had soggy papers. Dylan, who was about to ask for an advance in his wages, uh, instead gets fired. Cow. Yeah. Sean is gutted, as is Dylan. And Dylan asks Sean for some money, but Sean has just left his job in another storyline and his new job won't pay for another month, so sucks to be Dylan. And later, Dylan's in the precinct when Mason appears out of nowhere, again accusing Dylan of being gay for talking to Liam on the phone. Bet that Liam's looking pretty sweet right now, huh, Dylan? Mason wants his what? money. What? An uh, asshole. Mason wants his money, and now Dylan is agreeing to pay him, but needs time. Mason, though, will take payment in kind, and tells Dylan that he has some stuff that needs shifting. 
He's got some vapes that he wants to move on. And that's as far as we get with that this week. I, I recognize that there are children on this show. And sometimes I criticize the show because those children seem to be invisible. Hmm. This storyline just sucks for this kind of programming. You know? I'm, I'm, I'm not here to watch Degrassi High. Thanks. No. I'm not here to watch... Um, what's that one with Zendaya in it? Where they do... And Jacob Elordi, the guy who played Elvis. With it, what is the name of that show on HBO? I don't know, but I'm going to say the words Grange Hill for our British listeners. Right. This is not a very special episode of Saved by the Bell. This is <laughs> this is a grown-up soap opera. I feel like we've had our fill of bully stories, you know? Bully stories who want to get one of the characters involved in something that they shouldn't get involved in. Right. Usually drugs. Right. In this case, seemingly vapes, but it's probably drugs that are in the vapes. Right. Yeah. We had to deal with it when Simon was getting bullied by um, Amy's boyfriend. Jacob. Jacob. We had, of course, ITV Corey. Mm-hmm. Hope was a bully. Hope bullied people and then got over it because she got a chinchilla. Because <laughs> Hope was bullying, um, what's her name? Homeless Stu's daughter. Eliza. Granddaughter. And he's not homeless anymore. Stu's granddaughter, Eliza. Yes. Which, is Eliza a popular name in the United Kingdom? I don't think so. I've got a feeling it's maybe short for Elizabeth. Because when I think of Eliza, I think of, of, you know, the old Appalachian folk song, There's a Hole in the Bucket, Dear Eliza. (laughs) Dear Eliza. Indeed. No, I get what you mean. And I'm I'm, I'm kind of of the same opinion that it's a, it's different from the stew storyline that I hate. Right. Although that does have a aspect of a, a child Bullying. in it as well. Yeah. I, I I hate that and it it bores me. This doesn't bore me, but it infuriates me. Right. And it infuriates me for reasons that I've already said. This reminds me of aspects of my childhood and teenage years where I was kind of, in my eyes, a Dylan that had a mason that I made a bad choice when I when we were in a bigger group that group got smaller and smaller and smaller and rather than leave the group when other people were leaving I hung about and I regret doing that this is kind of happening for Dylan as well Liam was part of that group and Liam fucked off Liam put up with it for a little while and then fucked off right and Dylan should have went with Liam, right? And didn't, and is now regretting it. So, so, yeah. th- so even though there are parts of this and that strongly relate back to my own childhood, I still hate it. And right, or maybe it's because I, I can relate to it that right. I hate it. But it's not boring me. It's just this two-dimensional villainous character who just appears out of nowhere right. as a yeah. baddie. Right, he just who's appears bad because he's bad. Right. Which is never a good thing. It's n- not enough to no. to get my interest. Yeah, absolutely not. He he just exists just for the storyline, and we already have people like racist Kelly for that. But even the, what, even though there are aspects of the racist Kelly character that aren't developed or rounded, you see why she is the way that she is, right? Because yeah. you see the dad, and you yes. see the people who the dad are is it's hanging around, around with. Yeah. So 
racist Kelly is the character that she is for very clear reasons. Right. I think they're trying to make her a bit more rounded, but they're forgetting that she needs to have a redemption arc before any of that can happen. Right. And, and they've and, forgotten about and, that. And, and they keep pushing her back from that by making her do awful things. Right. And then never explaining them. Right. But Mason... It's just terrible to be terrible. in a little Mason universe... Yeah. Where he just wanders about being terrible to people, running over children, seemingly getting away with it. And I'm surprised Liam hasn't dipped him in it for that yet. Because Liam is now like fucked off from this thing. You'd think at this point Liam would say, Hey, coppers, guess what? Guess who ran over Eliza? Right. It's this dude. He stole the car. Yeah. But um yeah, I just I don't feel like we really know Dylan as a character very we well either. We don't know him at all. We, You know, we barely got to see him. And then all of a sudden he's he's there and we're supposed to care about him the way that we care about kids who have been on the show like all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, we're supposed to care about him the same way we care about Hope or Sam or Ruby, even though she's got a new face well, or be- Max. Well, before the storyline happened we were you were convinced that he was back in london right because it'd been that long since we'd seen him right and all of a sudden they were like well let's give this a kid a storyline now (laughs) and it's just it's not enough it's not enough at all no there's a a very well observed point that is before you give these characters this might have been a script to scene thing before you give these characters a major storyline they need to be seen in other storylines right. where you get a feeling of what their character is. Right. Is Dylan a nice boy? We don't know. We have no idea. We assume that he is because he's Sean's. Right. So he's got to be kind of all right, right? Well, maybe it's a bad example. <laughs> you, you think that he's maybe not going to be a total asshole. Right. From yeah. the little that we've seen of him. We don't know. We really don't know very much about what his life in London was like. No. Or what his mom was like, or her new husband. The one thing that has given us a bit of sympathy for him, though, is, ironically enough, Mason's attitude to him. Right. Mason calling him a gay boy. Right. Okay, now, now I feel a bit of empathy towards Dylan, and I right. feel quite happy about the way that he handled that. Yeah. And, and I hate Mason even more if that was possible. Right. But Yeah. But we're, we're being asked to jump in on the third floor on an awful lot of these characters where the foundation stuff isn't really isn't really there yet been considered no all right let's move on to our next storyline or not only but also fans i need to find a new title for that yeah you do on monday at the flat daniel and daisy are talking about the sale of his mum's house which apparently is going to rake in four hundred thousand. Daisy goes along they with hope. it, but says that she's working and tells him that he doesn't that she doesn't know if Ryan will be there or not, but she needs the money, so she has to be there. The house isn't hers, and she's not a sponge, like he once accused her of being. I was like, oh, somebody's remembered something. Ooh. Somebody's and he been watching old episodes. That. I know. He oh, laughs. Well, that was a long time ago. Ha ha ha. Hmm. Fuck you, Daniel. Daisy goes to see Jenny to tell her about the offer in the flat, and Jenny's surprised that Daisy never had a say in it. But she says it's what she wants. She explains that Daniel doesn't like Daisy working with Ryan, but it seems that Daisy might have a solution to that too. And her solution is to resign. She tells Ryan it wasn't personal and it wasn't Daniel's idea, but she needs to be earning more to pay her way in the swanky new flat. She thanks Ryan for everything that he did 
and Ryan is magnanimous and wishes her luck. And Nina's rolls later, Ryan's received a voicemail from Crystal. What? The other Scouse one whose accent I can't decipher. She doesn't seem to have as thick of an accent now. I think she does. Daisy goes home to tell Daniel about her quitting and Daniel can barely hide his glee asking how Ryan took it. Fuck you, Daniel. Seriously. Fuck you. It's finally all coming together for him. Later in the bistro, Crystal shows up as Ryan is chatting to Jenny. I still have no idea what Crystal says half the time. Privately, Jenny warns Ryan to be cautious and although at this point it's difficult to remember what Crystal did and what Jenny did pretending to be Crystal. Jenny didn't pretend to be Crystal. So what Daisy did pretending to be Crystal. Yeah. yeah, Jenny didn't pretend to no. be anybody. No, Crystal went off for a shite. And literally, she's like, is it around? And yeah, Ryan's like, yeah, it's just around there. He directed her to the bathroom on the show. <coughs> and you and you missed the opportunity to say Crystal went away for a shite. I don't like it when the show hands me these things. <laughs> Later, the subtitles say that Crystal apparently watched Ryan's live stream from Ibiza. And she feels sheepish about the way she behaved. She says, it's nice to see him. Aww. And he's looking good. Yes. On Wednesday, Ryan gets up, having successfully moved back into Carla's. He says he's been out with Crystal, which annoys Carla, who thinks Crystal is a waste of space, after she did a runner after the acid attack. But wouldn't you know it, Crystal has spent the night at Ryan's yes. auntie's house and has overheard Carla call her whorebag, basically. Yes. Carla wouldn't be Carla if she gave a shit about this, so she doesn't. And she calmly just leaves for work. Yeah, that was great. Ryan gets back to the flat later to find Peter cleaning the cooker. That, that was a scene that happened. Peter, interior, cleaning cooker. With gloves on. Yeah, yellow marigolds. Yes. Ryan says Crystal took Carla's outburst in good humour, which surprises Peter because he didn't think Carla was joking. She clearly wasn't. No. Either way, Ryan has intentions to see Crystal again later. Peter is glad that he's moving on and can now stop interfering in Daniel and Daisy's relationship. And that is something that he said to Ryan's face. With a straight face. Yep. And Ryan took it well, to be fair. He did. Ryan's with Crystal and Nina's roles later when Daniel and Daisy come in. Daisy is shocked and Daniel is suddenly very possessive. Well, Crystal continues to be largely unintelligible. Daisy says it's nice to see them. Well, Daniel forcibly drags her away. And puts his arm around her. <laughs> yeah. Back home later. Fuck you, Daniel. Daniel is stirring mushrooms in a frying pan that apparently passes for spag ball. They talk about Crystal being in town over Christmas for Ryan and how they'll probably get to see lots of them in the next couple of months. Daniel asks Daisy if she's worried about Ryan dragging up the catfishing. Daisy says she's not, but she is now. Mm. That's as far as we get with that this week. Interesting that all of a sudden Crystal is back. If that were me, if that were me, and I had treated someone that horribly at at their moment of deep distress, and then watched their live stream You're about it. You're not watching the live stream, are you? And, and then just happened, you know, somebody may have said, oh, you've got to watch this live stream about this guy who was, at, you know, in an acid attack. It's so brave. Or, you know, like CNN, well, not CNN, but... Sky News. Right. Picks it up. You know, it's like our friend Stephen Watt in the, the video of him giving his his wife a pug that's that's just constantly getting recycled like mm -hmm. every other year. I think uh, that London has got more impressions, I have to say. But anyway. <laughs> Still, that was really cute. And and it gets showed like, like all the, the dog channels will like just 
every six months it'll come back up even in this country which Mm. is hilarious but if i did and then i saw the live stream i would never talk to that person again i would be too ashamed to be mortified i'd be so mortified i would just i would hide in ibiza and just pray that he never comes to spain ever right but this cheeky cow she calls him (laughs) right up you know expected him to be very happy to hear from her and he is why is he so happy to hear he's just so alia's right there Huh. She and I'm just having a little look at her calendar. She, uh, she's free apparently. Yeah, yeah. She ain't she's, doing nothing. She, she's, she's either doing, sitting home listening to Stu complain right. about Dom and Eliza. All she's doing is sitting at home trying to talk down homeless Stu from buying tampons. Not homeless anymore. Not homeless anymore. This is your fault. You. I've, I haven't called him homeless Stu in ages. I know, and I typically don't either. But for some reason tonight. It, it's just I don't know. The gloves are off. <sighs> the fingerless gloves are off. <laughs> That's not even funny. That's a little funny. Stu is really kind of annoying this week. Such a prick. Well, it's it is. He it really isn't, is. He it really isn't really is. prick. It's just no. He, he is. He doesn't know how to read a room. We're not onto that yet. Not yet. I don't know if it's the pitch of Crystal's voice merges with my tinnitus. I really struggle to understand what she's saying. I understand every single word. I really struggle. It's weird. It feels like she's constantly whispering and I'm leaning in to try and hear what she's saying and I genuinely can't. And I don't think it's the accent because Courtney Boobs was also Scouse. Yes, but she was louder. Arguably had a more Scouse accent. And... Well, was yes, louder, but I, I could understand her she accent. She's a very well. loud person. But Crystal just, it's just a, such a struggle to understand what she's saying. And I, and I know that characters on Coronation Street have their SEO game absolutely on point. Right. But there's no way in the world that she's seen that video unless she's gone looking for it. There's no way in the world. You never know. I mean, this was pretty... This was a pretty... It was somebody saying that I'm not going to post here again. Right, but it was a very brave... No, nobody cares about those videos. It was a very brave thing to do from this man who was in an acid attack. And isn't this very brave? You see shit like this every day on Instagram. Oh, I don't. Maybe you're, we're you're, looking at different not, things. You're not typically on Instagram very much, are you? I'm quite a bit now. I'm posting, oh. more, posting far more on... Uh, on the Cory podcast on Instagram than I, I used to. Oh well, that's nice. Yeah, I quite like it there. I don't. It seems. It seems. It seems pretty calm com- in comparison yeah. to the dumpster fire that is Twitter. I still prefer Twitter. Instagram is like supposed to be really calming for me because I watch a lot of cat videos and dog videos and duck videos and things. But then you know, as you're scrolling, all of a sudden there's CNN with horrible news mm-hmm. and BBC with horrible news. Yeah, stop following them then. And Coronation Street with horrible news. <laughs> and Disney Pixar with horrible news. Oh, they're the worst. Oh, God. Did you see? Did you see they're making an Inside Out 2? No, but let's see that they're making a Mean Girls musical. Oh, yeah. Mean the Girls the musical has been on Broadway for a couple of years now. That's, that's okay. But Inside Out 2? I don't think we need that, thank you. Inside Outer? 
Well, they're adding more emotions. And there are emotions that are tied to the emotions that are already there. Anxiety is part of fear, you know? And it's like, she's an older teenager now. How are they going to handle that? Was it, uh, was it John Carpenter who said that original movies are the writer's idea? Sequels are the studio's idea. Yeah. And Disney keeps running back to this well, and it makes me angry. But well, anyway, that's not the, for this podcast. Daniel is still, uh, I, th- I think, an annoying aspect of this triangle. Right. A lot of people have given him pass marks because he's the wronged party here. But Daniel is has he, been, a, he's been a dreadful person. And he's been a dreadful person in the storyline. Yes. Um, and he keeps dredging it up over and over again, like just twisting the knife, like that whole, what he said about, oh, well, I guess we'll be seeing more of Crystal mm-hmm. since she'll be here through the holidays, which is also cheeky cow. And I, I know that Daisy was lying, but when you hear yourself ask your significant other for proof of where she was last night. Yeah. Even if she is lying. Right. There's something wrong in that relationship if you hear yourself say that. Saying that, that, right. Yeah. Maybe you shouldn't be asking that question. Maybe what you should be doing is packing your stuff and leaving. Right. Or, you know, questioning yourself as to why you need, why you have that big of a burden of proof. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because the proof wasn't enough. Right. Her receipt wasn't enough. He was still, she still had doubts. Right. Yeah. Oh. But he's still possessive of her. I don't. I don't think this storyline, this triangle, has has come to a close yet. And I don't know that Crystal's involvement makes this any simpler. I think no. it just complicates it things. It just makes it a box, in many ways. But you know, let's be fair. Daniel hasn't been good in a relationship since he's been on the show. Let's remember, he cheated on his wife who was dying of cancer. Yes. Yes. So he should never get a pass. <laughs> no. And then he made, and then he paid a woman to wear his dead wife's... Sex cardigan. Yes. And b- by all uh, evidence, his spaghetti bolognese is appalling. Right. Moving on. Our next storyline, just a few scenes from No One Cares. <laughs> on Monday, Stu bumps into Ken on the street. Do they know each other? Apparently. Well, and apparently enough heads, for so. Stu to moan to Ken about his relationship with Eliza. Ken does not give a fuck. No, because he's too worried about the fact that he thinks his son is drinking with no evidence of that at all. So Stu moves to Nina's roles to explain his woes about Dom and Eliza to Roy, who also doesn't give a fuck. And Roy is spared when Stu gets a text from his private investigator. So Stu runs off to meet the PI at the precinct. Seems that the PI has a bit of a penchant for the drama and they arranged to meet in the, an alleyway. Right. I think that's the alleyway that that Dick Mason was in when he was being a dick to Daniel and yes. um, homeless, homeless, not homeless, racist Kelly. Yeah. Seems Dom has a criminal record in Germany that she's been able to dig up for breach of the peace. She asks Stu if he wants to keep digging. He tells her to dig, dig deep, dig real deep. Ew. And that's as far as we get with that. I quite like the fact that the show seemed to be saying, we know this is awful. Mm-hmm. So we're going to have Stu complain to people about this mm-hmm. and they're not going to care. Right. 
I was just disappointed that it didn't happen three times. It needed to happen with Ken, it needed to happen with Roy, and it needed to happen with somebody else. Like Brian or something? Yeah. Roy was at least gracious about not caring. Yeah, he didn't stop doing what he was doing, though. No, no, he didn't stop doing (laughs) what he was doing. But he did seem to be paying attention. But yeah, the random just walking up on Ken and and talking about children. Mm -hmm. Ugh. Like, all right, granddad. Yep. No one cares, Stu. Nobody cares. All right. Let's move on to our penultimate storyline. Wow, we're going through this fairly quickly. Just a couple of scenes from Friday and what I'm calling Amy's mission. On Friday, someone was speaking with Amy about the counselling thing that Amy had signed up to do. Remember? Remember that was a thing? Yes. And there's been some spiking issues that have happened recently in town and Amy is setting up a little drop-in centre at the community centre to hand out leaflets and give out advice. Because the community centre is still a thing. Yeah, and there's no uh, no little big shots happening there today. No. And no Tai Chi. No. Tai Chi Jerry. Whatever happened to Tai Chi Jerry? I'm really sad that we never got to see Tai Chi Jerry and... And Tim's mum have a relationship. Right. I was quite looking forward to that. Dev needs Amy to do another shift at four, but Amy tells him to, to suck her balls. At the community centre, it's been a busy day handing stuff out. A young woman comes in late and Summer hands out a flyer to her. And while uh, she's complaining to Amy about a typo, the woman rushes off with her flyer unnoticed, which makes Amy really worried that someday she needed to help has slipped through the net. That's pretty much all that happened there. And Summer tells Amy to chill a little bit. Yeah, because Amy has a go at Summer for... Distracting her because there's two C's in Accommodate. Right. And how did they not notice that typo sooner? This is the end of the day. They've been handing out lots of these flyers. Mm -hmm. What's the deal, ladies? Well, that explains what that red wiggly line meant to whoever designed the, the flyers. Oh. I'm glad that this is coming back. I'm glad that this is acknowledging that the the rape storyline that happened is having further effects yes. on Amy. It's not been forgotten about. She's right. kind of driven by by this and the way that she reacted when that woman yeah. came in was clearly distressed. Right. And just left without speaking to anybody. That right. kind of had an effect on her. That but she did take there the was flyer. Somebody, there was somebody that I could have helped and I didn't. And that is a Amy thing to do. Hmm. How do we know that? Because we've seen lots of Amy. Yes. And we've seen lots of Amy recently. And yes. we know what kind of person that she is. Yes. So this seems to be like the beginning of a new Amy storyline, mm-hmm. which hopefully will not add more trauma to her because, frankly, that kid's been through enough. Right. All right. Our final storyline this week is Paul's prognosis. And this brings in another storyline that... That we thought was done. On Monday. At Nina's Rolls, Billy and Paul are discussing the PIP application that they're putting in. Izzy is there and tells Paul uh, to tell them the truth, which means don't tell them what he can do on his best day. Tell him what he can't do on his worst day. Right. Superb advice. Actually, very good. Right. Excellent news. And there's also a little thing where Roy apologizes to Izzy that everything is really close in there and it's hard for her to get around inside Mm -hmm. the rolls. When there's two wheelchair users in there, it seems to be even 
totally in a harder to, yeah. to move around because and it's very interesting to see Izzy and Paul in the same place mm-hmm. you know because I don't think we get to see the two of them together much no and I think this the is show. the first time that they've both been in a wheelchair in the same place together right yeah <clears throat> kind of just highlights how little represented disabled people are in fiction and on TV right. when, when it's notable when two people in a wheelchair are in the same right. scene at the same time. Yes. Whereas everybody else who has disabilities on the show, the show can conveniently forget about their disabilities because they're dyslexia and ADHD and obsessive compulsive disorder. Or addiction to steroids, Ryan. Or, you know, addiction <laughs> to alcohol. Oh, no, wait, we've, we're, we're remembering that Peter is an addict now. Yeah. Ryan's not shoved anything up his arsehole in ages. No, no. And the, good for him. The, the, only, the only piece of ass we get to see is in a later storyline. Yes. Or is in this storyline? Is that this? That's, it it is, must be this one, because this is the last one. Is it? Okay. Mm-hmm. Back home, Paul and Billy have a video conference with the social worker person. And while Paul tries to keep it light, it becomes clear what Paul needs help with these days. Like getting dressed and going to the bathroom. Right. And fucking hell, I didn't realise it was that bad, but... He's in a wheelchair. I know, but still, it's when you hear the things listed out, right? The things that he can't do, or he can only do this right. so long as the top's been taken off this already, or right. he can't he can't do his bathroom stuff, right? Without help, right? Hearing it being starkly listed out mm-hmm. just becomes becomes suddenly very real. It and, does, and oh my god, yeah, the two of them are still smiling yeah oh just makes it all the sadder yes joseph is playing fifa with paul later seems well joseph is playing fifa and paul is watching yeah because it seems that playstation is another thing that paul can no longer do which upsets the wee man it does so billy has to play instead yeah and billy's shite and billy plays as county and joseph laughs at him <laughs> On Wednesday, Billy has slept on the sofa and is up with the lark while Paul has started choking on tea and he's also a bit upset that Billy slept on the sofa. Bernie shows up and learns that his PIP payment should be through in 11 weeks and Bernie thinks that's ridiculous, that's nearly three months away. Yeah. So this gives her a little bee in her bonnet and she goes up off to meet up with Big Garth at the precinct. He's having problems shifting those laptops from months ago so Bernie, needing the money pronto, gives him the green light to shift them at rock bottom prices. Later, Paul's choking on tea again. This is not a good sign. No. One, one time, you can almost let it go. Twice as oh, no. this is this is awful. Yeah, he says he's got a drinking problem, which <laughs> reminded me of the <laughs> drinking <laughs> problem in the airplane movies. <laughs> Later in the precinct, Garth hands over five hundred quid to Bernie. He's managed to shift the laptops after all, mm-hmm. but he's photographed doing so by a mysterious bloke in a car. Right. Yeah. After months of Bernie and Big Garth not being together or anything because because Shelley died, the, the one time that they are seen together in public, somebody's following them and taking pictures. So Bernie gets back to the street from the tram station and is arrested by the bloke from the car and his silent friend. They're undercover cops and they've got her for handling stolen goods. Wayne? <laughs> at the cop shop 
Bernie is no commenting all of Swain's questions. It seems that Swain's in charge of this investigation. It seems like she's in charge of all of the investigations now. It's okay. There's no murders around, so now she's dealing with stolen goods. It's okay, everybody. You can step down. Swain's in charge. <laughs> How? I love her. I love her so much on the show. But the fact that they made Craig a detective and now we never see Craig as a detective and we always see Swain handling everything that needs detecting in Weatherfield. The one time we saw him as a detective, he threw up. <laughs> or he had a shadow. I'm a he was a ghost, remember? Yeah. A little ghost. Joel, who is representing Bernie, tells Swain that all their photographs prove is that money changed hands. They've no evidence of the reason that the money changed right. hands. This could be a debt that's been repaid for all that they know. Right. And they never have seen Bernie with stolen goods. There's no pictures of Bernie holding a stereo up <laughs> in the precinct. Ghetto blaster over her head. With, or has a bag over her shoulder that has swag written on it. <laughs> but they did arrest her. For the laptop thing that um, right. they let her go. And Swain is quick to remind her of this. And Swain also reminds them that they've been looking, keeping an eye on Garth for some time. Right. Yeah. But again, they let her go because they didn't have any evidence. And they don't have evidence now. They have a picture of her sitting on a bench with Big Garth. Right. That's all they have. Right. Bernie has done this dance with the filth before and she's got a bit of bravado about her and she challenges Swain to either charge her or let her go. So they let her go. Back at the Godflat, Paul is apparently getting fitted for his voice box thing and is remarkably chipper about it and he and Bernie joke about getting Morgan Freeman's voice installed. (laughs) (laughs) And Paul's like... In a dance older than time. And Paul's like, why do I want to sound like an elderly black American man? (laughs) Paul is worried something is up with Bernie because she's far too cheery. Back home, it makes a pleasant change to learn that Bernie has told Dev about her latest run-in with the law. This isn't a secret. No. She's told Dev. Right. Thank goodness. While they're doing dishes, it's so wholesome. He wants this to be an end to it. Yeah, nearly, says Bernie. Dev says, nearly's doing an awful lot of heavy lifting there. <laughs> but Bernie apparently has to go and see the cops tomorrow. And then it's finito, benito. Yes. Meanwhile... At the quad house, Joseph isn't well and Gemma has kept him off school. Chesney thinks he's skiving and isn't happy that Gemma didn't check with him. First, if it was okay that his sick child should stay home from school. Fuck you, Chesney. Seriously. If if that is your real name, Chauncey. Later, Joseph really isn't doing well and Gemma can't get an appointment with Gadas until next week. Fuck this, says Gemma, and she decides to take him to A&E, but she can't get a hold of Bernie to look after the quads. So back home, she goes on doctor.com or whatever. She asks Joseph about uh, his symptoms. Joseph only knows that the fat one is called Homer. And I just ended myself laughing because for a second, I've no idea what, why has he just said that? (laughs) And it cuts to Gemma and Gemma, her expression is just so beautiful and perfect. She just frowns, just a micro frown of what? And then she realizes, she realizes just what's happened, he, just just as I realize what's happened. He also mentions that Marge has big blue hair, right? But yeah, it takes Gemma a minute to realize what just happened, and then Joseph asks for some junior aspirin, and oh God, 
this kid just finishes me. Junior aspirin. I don't know why that's so funny, but it is hilarious. He's asking for junior aspirin. He's so world weary. He is. He's beautiful. a real man. It's lovely. He, Joseph is an old soul. Oh. You'd have to be for Chauncey to be your dad. <laughs> I love this so much. He's so good. And it just reminded me of how good Joseph was when he was running away. Remember when yes. he was running away and he was going yes. to go off with Granny Linda? And he was in Hope's Attic. And he was brilliant yeah. then. And he's so good here. Yes. He's eating his crisps and his expression is just absolutely beautiful. I just loved it. Just a wee old man. Loved it, loved it. Chesney gets home later and is briefly interested in the well-being of his firstborn. Gemma says that the nurse thought that there was nothing wrong with Joseph, but Gemma is still concerned that he was dead lethargic. Chesney doesn't know what that means. Has heard that Dylan was off sick in another storyline and reckons it's all just a bug that's going about. Gemma doesn't take this well and accuses Chesney of thinking that she's a hysterical woman for caring about Joseph and she storms off. On Friday, now most Chesney of... Chesney doesn't know what lethargy means. Yeah, and he knows that this means that Gemma's been looking stuff up on the internet because well, yes. Gemma doesn't know what it means either. But she does. She tells him what it means. So... Fuck him. On Friday. And you. Now, Friday's episode, really the second half of the episode was all this storyline. And I I really liked how they did it on Friday. Yes. Especially the second half of it. I thought it was an emotional roller coaster. It was. And I think they, I mean, we'll talk about it when we get to it, I guess, but the balance between the tragedy and, and, the, humor. and the humor of it was so 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 good yes it was perfect so Friday, <clears throat> it's breakfast time at the god flat paul wants to talk about the elephant in the room something happened last night something didn't saucy, happen maybe something didn't happen last night billy does not want to talk about it in the quad house chesney is sending joseph off to school come hell or high water which Gemma does not think is right chesney is still determined to ignore everything and thinks that uh, joseph is at it he never puts his foot down, he says. Really? He's putting his foot down about this. Joseph is going to school, and that's that. Nina rolls. Paul still wants to talk about whatever happened last night. Billy is still dodging the subject and asks David to join. Right, he's so desperate <laughs> to, to not talk about this that he calls David, who they barely ever talk to, over to sit with them and chat. And let's catch up. So he sits down and starts talking about, well... Monkle's a serial killer, so I guess that's <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah, Billy's like, "What's new with you, David?" It's like, really. <laughs> then Billy gets a text from the bishop who wants to meet at the same time. Paul has his speech therapy meeting. Paul gives him the all clear to go, saying that Bernie will take him, and this allows Billy to rush off, leaving Paul to chat to David. Have they ever been in a scene together? They were in jail together. Oh, I keep you forgetting, keep forgetting this. that. <laughs> the only thing I really remember about the beat in jail. It's How I Met Your Mother season two. I'm getting this tattooed across my forehead. <laughs> Paul and David were cellmates. That's right. Paul reveals that he was in a saucy mood last night, but Billy gave him a swerve like he didn't want to touch him. Hmm. David thinks that he knows what's going on and tells him about his issues with Shona after she got shot in the stomach and ended up with brain damage. Yes. So Bernie has to dingy the cops to go with Paul to his therapy session. And Dev is devastated. In Dev's, Ed is chatting to Chesney and Amy, and Ed tells Chesney to go easy on Gemma 
and points out that it makes sense that all she can see everywhere is illness given Paul's situation. And Chesney says, I'm an idiot. And the audience says, yes, you are. That's exactly what we've got written down, although I've used the word asshole. <laughs> Chesney goes home to apologise to Gemma about how he handled Joseph's situation, but then realises that Gemma didn't send Joseph to school after all. And Ches so is immediately an asshole again. Chesney's fuming again and tells Joseph to get ready for school and insists on sending them in late. And that's just the worst thing you can do as a no. kid. Go in late. Joseph is mortified. Gemma reveals that Joseph hasn't been to school in ages. She insists that there's something wrong with the kid, but Chesney does not care. At the hospital at the meeting with the therapist with Bernie, Paul learns that he can use his own voice in the robot thing, so that's a nice little detail yeah, isn't it doesn't it? have to be morgan freeman but then the doctor becomes more concerned with paul's cough and he's swallowing and stuff and wants to run some more tests meanwhile billy is entertaining the bishop but not but like, like that. that the bishop says that there have been discussions about lifting billy's suspension and the minority in the congregation that were against them are already regretting their disapproval well, some of them are i don't i don't believe that for a second billy really wants because famously people change their mind about this sort of thing don't they well i think i think when they realized that the majority were behind billy but not like that okay. I, I, oh I, I think i think that i think i think that may have changed a few minds because peer pressure is a thing even for old people who well, are homophobic billy really wants the church in his corner so the bishop agrees to let him go back to work and then Billy gets a call from Bernie to tell him that they want to run some tests about Paul's cough and she asks him to come in. So the doctor's doing some tests and gets Paul to blow into a machine just as Billy comes in. Paul struggles with it and it's obvious that the results aren't good. The nurse has noticed a deterioration in Paul's breathing and wants to fast track his PIP. Paul realises how bad this is now because of the code on the form that the nurse wants to send off. He reckons that he's done some research on this before and he's seen that code before and he knows that it means that he has between 6 and 12 months to live. That's how they can speed up the PIP. The doctor confirms that this is the case, although they're still hesitant to put numbers on it. Right. Paul wants to leave and asks to be just with Billy, which seems to hurt Bernie's feelings. And later, Gemma is looking for Bernie to look after the quads again as Joseph has been sent home from school sick again. It's Abby to the rescue, though, and she agrees to babysit while Gemma takes Joseph to the hospital. We're back at the hospital again, so Gemma and Joseph are stuck in the waiting machine waiting to be seen when she gets a message from Paul. and It's a, a voicemail that Paul's left because he doesn't want to speak to her face-to-face -face, and it tells... Gemma about his prognosis the hospital have seen Joseph later and there's fuck all wrong with him they take him away to have a word with him on his own which is a little bit weird Gemma's still determined for Joseph to be ill and she explains to Chesney about Paul but she's still sure that what Joseph has got is more than just a cold when Joseph is done with the doctor he goes off uh, to get some chocolate with Gemma while the doc speaks with Chesney about Gemma's time wasting this is not helping anyone, and Chesney promises to have a word. And kind I'm kind of, of disappointed that Chesney was right. <laughs> well, I mean, it's not that Chesney is right. 
it's the fact that the problem isn't Joseph. It's Gemma. Then why did Joseph get sent home from school again? Right. I mean, that is kind of concerning. I'm a little upset at this doctor because Chesney tries to explain to her, look, her, her brother only has six to 12 months to live. So she's, she's being overly cautious. Mm-hmm. And the doctor's like, well, she can't waste our time anymore. Instead of like being sympathetic, right? The way doctors are supposed to be sympathetic, mm-hmm. like okay, I understand. You know, I understand that she should maybe go get some counseling. You'd think the doctor would say. Well, you expect a doctor to maybe react like this at the fourth or fifth time that this right. has happened. This seems to be the first time that this has happened. Or I is think it's the second. Time at the it's hospital? a second because we didn't see her take him when she had to take the quads with her as well which she talks about having to take oh yeah i think i misunderstood that right and of course we didn't see that because they didn't want to have that many kids on Mm -hmm. the show at one time apparently right so meanwhile bernie's got home and hits the body straight away and it's abby that's in her house and abby tells her about Gemma and joseph and how chesney's heading to the hospital too Abby senses something's up with Bernie and sticks a kettle on. Could be a long night. They chat about Paul and about Seb and how they cope with tragedy. No matter what, Abby's determined to survive, she says. Bernie just feels cheated out of the three years that she thought they'd been promised with Paul and how she expected her crystals to help. She's been terrified since his diagnosis and the crystals were her way to make up for being a shitty mum. She was too focused on being a party girl and party drugs took their toll and Paul's paying the price now. Abby doesn't think blaming herself is going to help anyone. Paul needs her, and she needs to focus on that. Bernie, though, has been ignoring her life. She has calls from Dev that's been missed, and she has an appointment with the coppers. Abby tells her to do what's right for now, and the rest will work out. So, Bernie goes to see the police finally, and Swain is in no mood for fun and games, and announces that she's going to charge Bernie with handling stolen goods. They still don't have any proof. Swain? Seriously, there's there's no proof. There's a picture of her and Garth on a bench. So unless Big Garth He's not grass. He it was a grass, which he's not. They have nothing on her. They have nothing on her because the whole Shelley thing, she was able to talk her way out of it. Mm-hmm. And and again, with that, even with the text messages, they have no proof. They have never seen stolen goods in her hands. They have no proof that she's ever handed stolen goods from one person to another to sell. I don't, I don't understand this. It's like the show recognizes that we all love Swain. So, they, so they're like, well, we're going to use her as much as we possibly can. <laughs> and we're going we're gonna to revisit the storyline because then it'll make people sad that Bernie will be in jail while Paul is dying. And that's the thing that it's, it's yeah. dangling at us, right? Is that, yes. that Bernie potentially is going to be in jail for the next six months and, right. and might miss Paul the, dying. The death or, of her son. Or either way is going to miss a large chunk of the last part of his life. Right. I, I love Swain, obviously, because yes. I'm a human. Yes. And I've always been able to stick up for her because... She doesn't watch Coronation Street. No. So she doesn't know what we know yeah. about these characters and she isn't invested in any of these characters right. like, like we are. So right. she 
And they've been very careful to write her like this, I think. Yes. She sees the law, she wants the truth, and that's what she goes for. So when right. she was charging Peter or arresting Peter or right. taking him in for questioning, she should have done that. Right. We didn't want her to do it. No. But it was right that she it did. It was the right thing to do. And it was right probably bringing her in for questioning, bringing Bernie in right. for questioning, charging her with something. Mm. I'm not sure if we no. know all that she's got on this because i would right. hope that there's something else because this doesn't make sense no and for it not to make sense it's against swain's character right yeah and that's kind of how i that's kind of how i felt the second time they brought peter in when jenny went to the cop shop and told them that Stephen had said he wasn't going to hurt her because a police officer a detective should be smart enough to know that a man in a car mm-hmm can't hear a man on the street. Mm-hmm. So Peter would have no idea. He would see Stephen holding a bottle to Jenny's neck and reacting. Right. You know, and it took a little it took a little too long for them to say, yeah, there's no way you would have known. They shouldn't have had to drag Peter in to figure that out. Well, they apply a little bit of pressure and see how it, it plays out. Yeah. I, I can see them doing a bit of fishing on that and see how it goes, but... They were never going to get anything that they needed from Peter. No. Although they nearly did, because Peter very nearly fucked himself over and that. It felt like Peter wanted to go to jail. Yes, It I felt agree. like Peter wanted to be punished. Bernie, on the other hand, if she goes to jail... And, and if Peter had gone to jail, we would have been like, oh, okay, that's the way he's getting written out of the show. No big deal. Mm-hmm. Bernie, on the other hand, that's a big deal. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of tired of awful things happening to this family. Yeah. Back home, Billy and Paul are coming to terms with the news, and then Paul's horny again. Billy's surprised given the circumstances, but agrees and goes off to get some wine to loosen them up a bit. So while Billy is out, Paul goes to have a bath and struggles to get himself in, but gets himself in. Yes, we get to see a little bit of cheek. (laughs) When Billy comes back, he kills the mood by talking about anti-dandruff shampoo, and then Paul discovers that he's stuck in the bath. Billy tries to help and ends up putting his back out, so has to lie on the bathroom floor. Sexy, says Paul. <laughs> Billy worries that they're going to co- that need to call for help, and maybe Todd is their fourth emergency service. Billy reassures Paul that getting his hole with him has been the best of his life, but he's worried that he's going to hurt him. What the fuck are you doing to him, Billy? Paul reveals that he's been going to church with Dee Dee, and he's been baptized. Why the fuck church. did this happen? <laughs> Billy's upset that Paul has been cheating on him with Dee Dee. Right. Meanwhile, they really have called Todd, who turns up but can't get in. So passing Ed helps Todd Conveniently. drill the lock out of the door. Ed, that's, that's Ed's flat. He should have a key. He shouldn't have to drill. No, that's Tracy's flat. Why did I think that was Ed's flat? Oh, Ed's is the other flat. It's a young people's flat that I think is empty right now. Who's living there? Daniel and Daisy. Oh, that's right. <laughs> They've redecorated. How many so things am different. I getting tattooed on my head now? There's enough room. Oh, you're, you're cheeky, Mayor. <laughs> While that's going on, Billy tells Paul <laughs> that he's got his job back, but he's not sure that he wants it anymore. Todd and Ed break in and help Billy off the floor and Paul out of the bath. He is risen. Just at that, Summer bursts in and faints for the eighth time this year at the four men, some of whom are naked, that are in her bathroom. <laughs> Later, And then Ed says, I'm getting stiff. Yes, he did. 
Later, Billy and Paul are back on the couch and they smooch. And it seems like everyone else has left, including Summer. <laughs> Paul is still keen for his hold, but at this, we must draw a veil over proceedings. And that is how we end this week's episodes. Yes. Oh my God, that was so funny. It was... It was so funny. So funny. So funny. The shot of Paul in the bath and Billy next to him lying on the floor. Right. Was... It was just so funny. Just brilliant. Just brilliant. And then you add Todd and Ed Mm -hmm. into the equation. And it's just... And Todd saying... Todd saying to Ed, let me assure you, this isn't a gay thing. <laughs> yes. So funny. Todd's face when he's on the phone uh, uh, to Billy uh, and Billy's explaining what the situation what is. And you see Todd's face just light up. <laughs> <laughs> What's been described to him. Oh, my God. So funny. We were spoiled tonight. Yeah. I think. We really were. That tonight's episode really was just up with one of the best that's been in a long time. And it wasn't just because it was funny, because we had... We had the Bernie and and Abby conversation. Which was really... Which was really good. Really beautifully written. Really beautifully beautifully written. You know, and to have these two women that we don't see interact very much, Mm -hmm. talking about... Similar situations, similar, you know, sowing their wild oats in their youth to the neglect of their children. Right. And also talking about the death of their sons. Oft. Yeah. Oft. And it was just so well done. It was well lit. It was not overly dramatic. Mm-hmm. It was just it was just a conversation between two people. And it was just it was so perfect. This is one of the benefits of having a, a big cast like this, is that you have a character like Abby that you can bring into this who has parallels right. that that maybe exist or don't exist yet, but will exist right. in the future. And having those two characters together, having a conversation, and that was another thing that I really liked about it, was just the natural way that the conversation moved right. as they're talking about this. It wasn't forced. It was all right. just very organic, the way yeah. that the conversation Abby developed. Abby is just listening. Mm-hmm. She's not prompting. She's just sitting there. She's made tea for them, and she's just sitting there, and she's just listening, right. and it's fantastic. But, you know, we also got, earlier in the episode... This conversation between David and and Paul, yep. who also have parallel lives here mm-hmm. where, you know, David has been in a situation where he was nervous about having sex with his partner right. because she was injured. And so he was able to say to Paul, this is probably what Billy is going through right now, mm-hmm. which gives... And he turned out to be right. Paul, you know, food for thought there. You know, and the fact that both of them were so comfortable talking about this in public. <laughs> right. And that David was so comfortable talking to a gay man about sex, mm-hmm. you know, and didn't feel awkward, didn't feel like he had to make jokes. He's just there for his jail pal, Paul. Yeah. You know? I was really glad that they, that they did that because as... As that that part of the conversation was moving towards, well, Paul needs to make a decision here that he either tells David about it or he doesn't. Right. And I thought the easy thing is is for Paul 
not to tell David. Right. And therefore, the mystery for us, the viewer, still continues. Right. Well, it wasn't a mystery. But I'm really glad that that he did tell yeah. tell David about it because allowing that conversation to happen right. was really for the benefit of the, the episode and the characters. Right, and for us. Yeah. It was, there was just so much happening this week. Some really, really good uh, writing from some of our favourite writers yes. on, on the show. Absolutely. But Friday really just took the... Took the... Right. The cherry on on top. It was Absolutely. just such such a beautiful episode, and was so emotional and so funny. And really, you've got tears in your eyes for one minute because you're sad at what's happening, and then you've got tears in your eyes because you're laughing that, so that, hard. That haven't dried from the last time, and now you're laughing so hard. It was just oh, just more of this. It's just mm-hmm. so good when it does it this intimately. Yeah. It, it's, it's brilliant drama and it's brilliant TV when it, it, when, it when it does it like this. Yeah, so. which makes it all the more heartbreaking when it isn't this. Yeah, and you know, there's been a few, a few iffy weeks recently. Yeah, and there's been a few cracking weeks, right. like the the Super Salt week. I really, really we both really, really enjoyed yeah. that. Yeah, and, and that and was I'm, like the first time in a long time that I've enjoyed a Super Soap week. I, yeah, I think it was the best Super Soap week that, yeah. that we've talked about no guns and and having this happen so quickly after it kind of makes you feel that maybe the show's finding its feet again and is on a bit of a better track because yes. if it's putting out episodes like this once a month or a couple of times a month if, if it's this good if it builds up to moments that are this good and this well delivered then that's great news for us watching right. the show yeah well, that was the week that was Coronation Street. Oh. Helen, oh, tell me, what was your moment of the week? Friday. Just Friday. Just Friday. Just Friday. I agree. Because, you know, I cannot, I can't pick my favorite part of Friday. Mm-hmm. You know, I definitely can't say it's definitively Paul stuck in the bathtub and Billy <laughs> on the floor and, and, and it not be Bernie and Abby. And I can't say it's Bernie and Abby. And not Paul and Billy on the floor. So it's just, I, I'm just going to have to say my moment of the week is Friday. Absolutely fine by me. I'm just surprised that it's not Joseph being confused by symptoms. Because that's on Wednesday, I thought, this is absolutely moment of the week territory. Yeah. But then Friday happened. Right. And that is our moment of the week. Moment of the week. Your boring moment of the week. <laughs> Your horse impression of the week. <laughs> uh Horse impression of the week. Mason, horse impression of the week. Mason and Chonky dancing in, in the rovers. <laughs> Was it Chonky? Conchy. Conchy. Which I think is a uh, Lord of the Flies. Like reference. a conch shell? Yeah, Lord of the Flies. They're calling they're calling him Conchy because it's not it's not correct anymore to call him Piggy. Is that what we're saying? I think so, because he's a little rotund. Right, yeah. Like these kids have ever read Lord of the Flies and understood it. Anyway, the two of those idiots dancing. Pricks. Those are our boring moment of the week. It's like, not only does he have a stupid face and a stupid haircut, this little shit can't dance. <laughs> what score are you giving it this week out of ten? Ah, oh, nine. A nine, a nine a, and it's just because of Friday and then Joseph on Wednesday. Yeah, see, I'm remembering that 
as good as Friday was and as good as Bits of Wednesday was, there was still an awful lot of stew <sighs> boring the shit out of people on Monday. So I'm going to give it an eight and a half. But if it was it's ju- close, if it was just, I mean, Friday was a 10. Yeah. Yeah. But if it was all like Friday, it would have been a 10 for me. But as a week, it's eight and a half for me. Yeah. All right, this episode was brought to you with thanks to our friends of the podcast, Daisy, French Helen, Pickles, DT, Trisha, Wendy, and Noel. If you've ever... <laughs> Noel, the secret American. <laughs> if you've ever <laughs> been a secret American, write in to tell us about it. We're the talk of the street at gmail.com and we're at Corey Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Threads, and Blue Sky. You can shout me and Helen a coffee or become a friend of the podcast by heading to ko-fi.com, that's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. Check out the clicky clicky section of vogel.co.uk for links to a merch store and YouTube channel. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on the please. iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. And be sure to check out our pop culture sister podcast, The List of Lists. Where we hate each other. <laughs> Thanks for making it to the end of another episode, do we? We'll be back <laughs> next week with more. Talk of the Street. The Talk of the Street. Bye. Cheerio.